Podcast. What is up, college across fans? You're listening to episode 191 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I am your host, Ted Houston. and today we're going to talk about a boatload of lacrosse games. We're going to have a treat, though. We're going to talk about D2, Lemoyne, and Mercyhurst that play this weekend, and then beyond that, we're going to get into Cuse, Virginia, Notre Dame, North Carolina, or uh, Notre Dame, Georgetown, North Carolina, Hopkins, Duke, Penn, Brown, and Vermont, Loyola, and Rutgers, Maryland, Princeton, Navy, High Point, Denver, Jacksonville, Ohio State, Harvard, we're in, and a bunch more after that. So we're going to get into a ton of crap here. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to share the crap out of this podcast with your friends your family and your loved ones uh we'll keep it semi pc only dropping a few f-bombs here and there so uh it should be safe for everybody about you know 15 and up depending on your threshold for cursing and dopeness and then beyond that you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way. We have apparel dropping, new shorts that are dropping. So if you go to laxfactor.com, not only do we put all this content up there so that you can find everything that we're doing, but you can also support us by buying swag and crap like that as well. So let me get into it. I want to start here with uh, Mercyhurst and Lemoyne as our opening salvo here. Mercyhurst has gotten a lift from Hartford transfer Ethan Landamore. He put up 12 goals and two helpers in six games for Hartford last season prior to transferring to the coldest fucking region in the Northeast, Erie, Pennsylvania. He has scored seven goals and three assists in two games so far this season for Mercyhurst. Bryce Johnson and Miles Ham, they each have nine points so far. Johnson at three and six, and Ham, a full-on goal scorer, feels no need to dish the rock. He's got nine goals and nine points in total here. Brett Olney, he's looked good in cage thus far for Mercyhurst. He has stopped 58% of his shots faced. Not too bad. Now for Lemoyne, Kevin Sheehan put up four goals and a dish last week in the Shark Haters win, uh, 15-11 win over Wingate. Teammate Ben McCreary and Carter Collins each went three and one, and then Lemoyne filled it out beyond that. Now, senior keeper Frank Delia, he stopped 58% of his shots against uh, Wingate. Delia fared a little bit better versus Wingate than Olney did. Olney was under 50% against Wingate, but his save percentage was saved by their win last week against I forget who offhand here. But uh, uh, the the advantage in the cage thus far, I'd say, would go to Delia overall. But don't worry about that. Olney overall is capable of having a good day, you know, depending on, you know, good a good outing depending on the day. So if we go deeper here now, uh, face-off stat, and this is an odd face-off stat. Lemoyne senior Fogo Sam Curry is solid, and he went 19 of 28 versus Wingate. He won 60% of his draws over the last three seasons, so he's a hell of a face-off guy. Now, Mercyhurst's Sean Doran, he posted the exact same stat line against Wingate two weeks ago, 19 of 28. So you could say, is this a wash? No. It's not a wash. I would say the advantage goes to Mercyhurst and Doran, who picked up 14 GBs with only one turnover versus Curry's 12 GBs and two turnovers. But Doran smoked Lemoyne in the tournament last year, winning 19 of 23 draws with 16 GBs. And Curry, who was the backup for Lemoyne at that point, he went 0-6 against Doran. So if Doran can put up similar numbers this weekend, Mercyhurst has a legitimate shot 
in this game. In the end, I think that LeMoyne's big advantage is defensively. They cleared the ball better. Perfect rate against um, Wingate versus Mercyhurst had a, a handful, not not quite a handful of failed clears. Um, and then I think LeMoyne holds a, a, a slight edge in cage overall as well. So just from a personnel standpoint, scheming standpoint, you know, LeMoyne beat Wingate, Mercyhurst lost. So right off the bat, in terms of comparing like opponents, you would say edge goes to LeMoyne. And when you look at the statistics on why, LeMoyne's goalie had a better day against Wingate. And then they both fared pretty much the same in terms of possessions, almost exactly the same in terms of possessions outside of the failed clears for Mercyhurst cost them some possessions, costs them some goals and some productivity. So I think in the end, both teams can score goals. And I think the faceoff battle will be very interesting to watch. If Curry has improved and he can hang with Dorian or Doran, then Lemoyne probably wins this game and they probably win it by three to five goals, if not more. If Doran can smoke Lemoyne at the dot and give Mercyhurst added possessions, then I like Mercyhurst's chances overall to upset Lemoyne. So I'm going to go with a Mercyhurst upset by a goal because if I don't, uh, I got a little guy, I got a guy who's going to drop me and, and not defend me anymore. So I got to watch out for that. I got to watch out for my bottom line here. So let us move on from that here. I'm going to bring up in my other screen the polls, so I have those. But we're going to get right into talking about scores. Uh, before I get into the previews, I just want to talk about some games that, that had gone on here. And uh, we saw St. Bonaventure and Bellarmine. Uh, St. Bonaventure ends up beating Bellarmine by a goal, so that's a good deal for the Bonnies here in upstate, way upstate New York. Michigan waxed Canisius. Now, my only gripe here with Michigan waxing Canisius is that, you know, they haven't played anybody. Zawada goes seven and three. So, I mean, at this point, Zawada has got to be averaging like freaking 10 points a game. Uh, Boehm had four and four. It was, it was just a bloodbath of the worst order. But when you look at who Michigan has played, they beat Bellerman 22 to 13. They beat Detroit Mercy 21 to five, Holy Cross 20 to three, Canisius 21 to 10. They play Cleveland State. They should beat them up pretty good. Although I think Cleveland State might hang a little bit better, maybe similar to Canisius. Marquette probably potentially could keep Michigan under 20 goals. Delaware is probably going to be their first true test. Delaware, a, a solid squad, then Harvard, and then Notre Dame before they get into the Big Ten play, Hopkins, Maryland, Penn State. So, yes, they could absolutely end up being 6-0. and Heading into Delaware, but you know, in that once you get to Delaware, I don't care what Michigan ends up being ranked if they're even ranked. Let's see here: is Michigan ranked at the moment? They are ranked 17th, and Delaware is ranked. They're actually tied with Delaware for 17th. So yeah, Michigan could be ranked and undefeated by the time they hit that Delaware game. But things are going to be very different in the second half of their schedule there. So we'll move on from that. Um, Duke played Delaware and and had kind of a rough go here. One thing that we're seeing with the ACC teams like Duke, Virginia, and UNC more than any of them, they're putting up points with the best of them, and they're outscoring their opponents. But defensively, they're giving up a lot of points also. Now, that's not a, a knock against Delaware. Delaware is a very good team, and they're a very good offensive team. What I was surprised about was they played excellent defensively in this game as well. We end up seeing Sean Lully go for five goals in the second half after he got switched down to attack, shot the rock at 56%. Huge game for the freshman phenom Andrew McAdory, uh, Brennan O'Neill's former high school teammate. He goes four and two on the day, 100% shooting per the stats that I'm looking at here. Dyson Williams continues his run four and one. Brennan O'Neill didn't shoot the rock great, but was two and one. The only problem here with O'Neill is I think he's forcing it at times. I think at times he's kind of, 
doing the right thing and trying to get the looks, but I think he's forcing some of these shots that he should, he'd be better served pulling up on. And you, you never know that if he was willing to pull up on some of the bad shots he takes, it could result in a better shot later in that possession. So he'll learn that though. He's still young. You figure Dyson Williams has a year head start. He's all of them have that COVID season. Uh, uh, Williams, the year of the COVID shortened season was Duke's leading scorer. So there's no surprise here. Uh, I've seen a bunch of people on Twitter talking about teams sleeping on Dyson Williams. Nobody is sleeping on Dyson Williams. What's happening with Dyson Williams is he's an excellent off-ball lacrosse player, and Duke has so many excellent Dodgers between O'Neal, now Lully, McAdory, Montgomery. Robertson was injured, I believe, in this game, so he didn't play the second half, but I hear he's okay. So the kicker here in the end is Dyson Williams is good enough off ball that teams, you can't game plan for a guy who's going to be so good in a two-man pick slip game like Williams is, who's going to be so tricky on man-up plays on the crease or or playing well on the backside and kind of stepping down and shooting. I mean, it is really hard to game plan for him. Nobody's sleeping on Dyson Williams. It's just that Dyson Williams is a hell of a lacrosse player, and it's really hard to stop him. I, I think that saying that people are sleeping on him is doing a disservice to him. I think that everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows what he can do to them. You just can't stop him. That's it. Ty Kurtz, excellent for Delaware. He'll factor huge in that Michigan game once they get down there. I, always, I like to look ahead as I'm looking at schedules. He went 4-1 in that game. In terms of goalie play in this one, Mike Adler ends up with uh, uh, eight saves versus 10 goals against. He ends up seeing the bench for Andrew Bonafidi, who came in and didn't fare much better. And then, uh, so yeah, it wasn't a day for goalies here overall. And then what's even more impressive for, for uh, Delaware is that they, they kept the score tight despite losing uh, 27 of 35 to Jake Naso. They got absolutely destroyed at the faceoff dot, but still managed to put up enough goals on Duke. So all these people that are chirping me when I say ACC defenses are down, I mean, you win 77% of your draws, and Jordan Gra- G- uh, Ginder got in and won 100, won, went 2-2, two and two, so they actually won more than 77% of their draws, probably close to 78 79%. You tell me you win that many of your draws and you still give up 14 goals to an athletically inferior opponent. Now, once again, nothing against Delaware, but I, I expect Duke to win this game, and when you win that many faceoffs, if your defense was as good as everyone pretends that it is that's chirping me over complaining about ACC defense um, – you'd think you'd win this game by a larger margin, and they didn't. So credit to Delaware. Offensively, they're, they're very good, but more importantly, defensively, they were able to get, you know, 19 goals, you didn't get a whole lot of stops, but they're lucky with the face-off disparity and the possession disparity that there was that they didn't get waxed even worse. So hell of a job by them overall. Uh, as we get into, and I got to kind of stop talking about the games here. The other one that was uh, kind of eye-opening here was North Carolina and Brown, and it was a very similar thing that we saw with this one here where uh, North Carolina did edge Brown 14 to 11 in Brown's only second game, North Carolina's fourth game. If I'm looking at that correctly, Jacob Kelly goes three and five for Carolina. Chris Gray didn't shoot the rock. Well, 20% shooting. He, he scored two goals off 10 shots, but had three dishes as well. Uh, on the Brown side, Devin McLean, three and two, Darian cook, two and two. They look good overall goalie battle. Krieg, Solid, 61%, 17 saves, and Connor Theralt for Brown, 10 saves, 14 goals against, so not great there, but once again, the disparity here, Zach Tucci, I saw uh, the gorilla posted something about uh, Zach Tucci woke up this morning and chose violence, which is absolutely true. Tucci goes 18 of 24, 75%, Andrew Trerar, I don't know how to pronounce that, he goes 3 of 4, so they win a, a fresh 
75% of the draws over Brown, yet Brown is still able to hang. So what that tells us about Brown, they are very good defensively because they were able to kind of button up here, bottle up uh, not only Gray and kind of keep him to five points, but the, the North Carolina offense as a whole, and they got stops despite getting absolutely roasted at the faceoff dot. So that is a big deal and once again proves my point. I think Carolina's defense out of all of the ACC teams is is right now the worst. They're young though. So this is I'm not slamming the Carolina defense. I mean they have a lot of freshmen, a lot of first year starters playing in front of poor Krieg who's a young goalie himself or yeah, Krieg who's a young goalie himself. So you know, they got some growing pains. They're going to be able to outscore some teams though and certain teams they match up better against. They're they're going to end up roasting, but that is it. I digress now. Now let us get to the D1 previews for this weekend. And obviously I'm going to start with my favorite game here this weekend is uh, Virginia hosting Syracuse in Charlottesville. Connor Schellenberger is the guy that Syracuse is going to have to try to stop. I'd posit stopping Peyton Cormier and Xander Dixon, who have both been incredible off ball. That's going to be equally important. Syracuse's defense over the last couple of years has been terrible off ball. However, they played very good off ball. Overall, they played very good against Maryland last weekend. So that gives all of the Syracuse fans that were kind of worried, what's this defense going to look like learning a new system with very similar personnel to last year? Well, in that Maryland game, we saw the weakness last year. If your name wasn't Dearth, you you didn't play very good short stick D-mid. Dearth was the only solid short stick D-mid, and the rest of them kind of got exposed throughout the season. In Maryland, in the game against Maryland, I was afraid of how that was going to play out. Maryland has a lot of solid dodging midfielders. They fared very well. They looked good. They, they did get attacked. It looked like Maryland did try to press a lot of those short stick matchups, and Syracuse fared well off ball. They fared well, where Syracuse really gave up a lot, and this is what worries me against Virginia. They gave up a lot of, of dumb... I, you can't even say dumb. Dumb transition goals off the face for sure. The wings let the let the the, the Maryland faceoff squad get behind them on a couple of occasions. Push transition, scored goals. There was a couple of bad bounces and ground ball broken play situations that Maryland took advantage of as well. But that's Maryland's good. They're going to do that. Virginia, very similar. They're going to do the same thing. Petey Lasala at the faceoff dot, just like Weirman for Maryland. Very solid. The only plus here for Syracuse is they've owned Petey LaSala last season. They they roached him twice, and it resulted in Syracuse routing Virginia twice. I don't think that's going to happen in this game. I think we're going to see an absolute dogfight. I think it's going to be high scoring. Where I like Syracuse here is Virginia has given up some goals to some teams here. Air, against Air Force, 21-11, to 11, but they started shaky in that one. Against High Point, 11-10. to 10. So Virginia, not only have they struggled at times defensively, although not as much as I'd say Duke or North Carolina, but offensively they've struggled. You know, High Point not known for their, you know, crazy defense, uh, defensive prowess. And even though High Point, everyone says, well, they play Virginia tough every year. It's like, why? Could be a good matchup. Or maybe Virginia's just, you know, at times plays down, and they showed that last year. But then, hey, joke's on everybody else because they win a national title last year. That's my thing with Virginia. Defensively, they usually look a little bit shaky, or the last couple of years they've looked a little bit shaky early in the season before being one of the best defensive teams in the country by the end of the season. I put some of that on. They like to play an an aggressive style of defense. They like to get after guys. They like to try to force turnovers and run the ball upfield in transition. And when you do that, 
especially when you lose some guys from the season before, which they always do, takes everybody else a little bit of time to eke into it. I've said this over and over again. So I do like Syracuse's chances. As we're looking at Virginia, though, Air Force and Hyatt and Towson, they beat them both up, but early in both of those games, Towson had a lead early, Air Force had a lead early before Virginia's offense woke up and then did something. And then against High Point, it was just a hell of a game throughout. It was a game of runs. Virginia would take a little bit of a lead. High Point would battle back. So uh, I like Syracuse's offense against Virginia's defense. That's where I think that Syracuse will end up being okay offensively. From a face-off perspective, as we're looking at Petey LaSala, he's won 62% of his draws so far. Fop in his two games has won 65% of his draws so far. So that's kind of a wash, except Syracuse owned LaSala last year. Like I said, I don't see that happening again this year. I think things are going to be much more even. And then in terms of the goalie battle, Noons, 55%. Gavin so far, 53%. So, you know, I think that the goalies are going to match up pretty well. What this is going to come down to is can Tucker Dordovic, Brendan Curry, Seabold, Quinn, and company, can they outscore Schellenberger, Cormier, Dixon, Moore, if Moore plays, and, and all those guys? And, I mean, I think Virginia offensively, offensively is a little bit more stacked than Syracuse, but I think Syracuse matches up solid with them on defense. So, you know, I think that you got to kind of give Virginia a little bit of the edge in this one overall, despite what happened last season. But I think that this is going to be an insane game. I hope it's going to be an insane game. And uh, I am looking greatly forward to it overall. Let us get into the next one here now. Notre Dame and Georgetown. It's actually Georgetown at Notre Dame. Listen, we got the Kavanaugh brothers, and granted it was against, what, Detroit Mercy? I believe it was who they opened with. Let's just see here. Yeah, Notre Dame opened 24-2 win over Detroit Mercy. Pat Kavanaugh, 4-4 four four off four shots. Chris Kavanaugh, 4-2 off seven shots. I mean, these guys are good. And then you got the big boy at midfield, Eric Dobson. He was 1-2. Bryce Walker, 2-1. Wheaton Jacoboys, 2-0. So, they're going to be excellent, Notre Dame is, offensively. Notre Dame is also going to be excellent defensively. They return Liam Entman in cage. Entman right now sitting at 82%. But last year, Entman, uh, in an All-American season, posted a – let me see here. What was he last season? He posted a 58% save percentage last season. So Entman, absolutely no punk here. Georgetown. Owen McElroy in cage for Georgetown. He's sitting at 64% after Georgetown's first two wins here. Georgetown thus far has beat Hopkins and Penn. So Georgetown's schedule, solid already, and they've already beat two good teams uh, heading into this Notre Dame game. Offensively for them, Graham Bundy Jr. is 3-6 and six, uh, for nine points. Dylan Watson, 8-0. and oh. So I think this is going to be one of the best games of the weekend for sure, right up there with the Cuse-Virginia game. If not, maybe even a little bit better just because these are these are two highly ranked teams that are about to do battle here. And then in terms of the defensive edge, I will give the defensive edge to Georgetown, even though I think Notre Dame's defense is insanely solid, partly because you got Will Bowen here, and he has forced five turnovers so far in their first two games, which is, you know, pretty pretty hella good, if you ask me. And then what else we got here? Gibson Smith still playing. He's got two forced turnovers, 12 uh, GBs. So I do like the, the the Georgetown defense a little bit. I like their D mids a little bit more overall. But then you can't front on Notre Dame either. They've got Arden Cohen back, and they've got a solid goalie. So, you know, what are you going to do here? I think overall – I'm probably picking Georgetown to come out and win this one. Maybe it's just because it'll be Georgetown's third game and Notre Dame's second. 
who knows, but I, I, I think that Georgetown offensively doesn't have the edge. I think Notre Dame has the edge offensively, but I think Georgetown has the edge defensively, and a lot of it is going to come down to the faceoff dot. You, didn't, you don't know how it really went for Notre Dame. Will Lynch won 69% against against uh, Detroit Mercy's Haggard group, and then uh, Colin Hagstrom comes in and wins seven of eight for Notre Dame. But James Riley against two far better opponents than what Notre Dame's played so far, 24-39 for 62%. So I kind of give the edge to Georgetown there, and I think that gives Georgetown the edge overall. Goalie situation, a wash, maybe a slight edge to Entman. Defensively, slight edge to Georgetown. Offensively, edge to Notre Dame, but at the faceoff dot, that's where this game's going to be won or lost, I think, overall, and uh, I give that sl- that edge to Georgetown, and I think they end up winning this game by a very small margin. Uh, so let's move on from that. Carolina and Hopkins here. Now, both of these teams are battle-tested. North Carolina has wins over Richmond, Colgate, and Brown with the absolute shellacking at the hands of Ohio State. So that's not great, but Gray, you know the quantities, 12 and 12, Jacob Kelly, 10 and 8, Nikki Solomon, 5 and 4. You can go down that list, and they have a bunch of guys that can score the rock for Carolina. Now, Hopkins, they have wins over Jacksonville, Towson, and Loyola. So I, I like... I'd say it's similar in terms of quality of wins, and then Hopkins got beat 16 to eight by Georgetown. That so Hopkins' loss is looks much better on paper than Carolina's loss does. And then Joey Epstein's been playing better, 10 and four. Connor D. Simone five and seven. Jack Keough three and seven. So I mean, this should be a solid matchup, and both teams are sitting at three and one right now. Carolina's ranked 12th. Hopkins is ranked 11th. So, and, and, and Carolina was ranked much higher until they lost there to North Carolina. So once again, I think offensively, Carolina has the definite edge in terms of consistency and firepower over, over Hopkins. That is for damn sure. I think in cage, eh, Krieg has not been great, but that's only because he has a terrible defense in front of him. Hopkins defense has been much improved in front of Josh Kearson. He's 49%. So goalie situation, I'd call that kind of a wash. I like Krieg a little bit better. He's younger than Kearson, but maybe that plays as well. So I call the goalie situation a wash. North Carolina already, we said, has the offensive advantage. Now at the faceoff dot, Zach Tucci, 58%. Hopkins has struggled at the faceoff dot over the last couple of years, but Tyler Dunn has been very good, 58% as well. So both of these guys are sitting at 58%. The only kicker is Zach Tucci has a little bit more help behind him. Chase Mullins is also sitting at 50%, and uh, and Hopkins pretty much, Tyler Dunn has taken all of the faces. So, you know, that's kind of a wash as well. I like Tucci a little bit more than Dunn, only because Tucci's been doing it for a little bit longer in terms of what I've been able to see, but I think I'd call that overall a wash as well, but it will be a very important part of this game as it always is. And then defensively, Carolina is at a disadvantage to Hopkins. I think Hopkins has the definite advantage at defense. So I like this game as being kind of a wash. I think it comes down to a close game by the end here, and I'd be surprised if either team was able to pull away and win by more than three or four goals overall. I'm giving this one kind of a 50-50 coin flip here at this point. Um, I'm not even making picks today because I suck at making picks, and it just makes me me look stupid. So hell of a game here to watch, though, and that'll be one that I'll definitely be watching. I'm going to have to fire up three screens, though, this weekend because a boatload of these games are all played at noon this weekend. Another game that is going to be super interesting to watch. Penn coming off a loss to 
Kara, oh, to Georgetown, eight to ten. So they looked very good in their first outing in years against Georgetown. They looked good defensively. They looked good offensively. Georgetown's defense among the best in the country, and they fared well. They lost eight to ten to Georgetown. Duke here, as I said, they got a win over Robert Morris, big time. Win over Vermont. Win over Manhattan. And then they play Denver. They put the big hurt on Denver after losing to Jacksonville. And then they get a close win against Delaware as well. So Duke played a bunch of games already. They're battle-tested. Now let's go into what we're looking at uh, for scorers. Offensively, I think that the edge definitely goes to Duke. You got Dyson Williams, 27 points. O'Neal, 23 points. Sean Lully, who was Penn's leading scorer in the COVID-shortened season, now with Duke, 12-9 and after having that seven-point game here, 21 points. Seven of them, 33% of his point output came in their last game against Delaware. Joe Robertson is assuming he's healthy. I love Andrew McAdory, Nakai Montgomery. Who doesn't love him? So Duke offensively looking very good. Now Penn capable offensively. Dylan Gergar, four goals. Sam Handley, you got to watch out for Sam Handley, who's listed as a mid but played mostly attack against Georgetown. One and two. Cam Rubin, two and one. These guys, they can score goals too. Now, as we're looking at the goalie situation, who knows what Duke's goalie situation is. They did pull Adler, but I think Adler will probably get to start again. He's sitting at 55%, and Emmett Carroll had a 55% outing against a very good offensive team in Georgetown. So I'd say goalie situation at this point, I call that a wash. We're giving Duke the edge offensively. At the faceoff dot, this is where I think the advantage goes to Duke. Naso, 62% so far, and he's played some good faceoff guys too. Stathakis comes to mind for Denver. Who else we got here on that? Oh, and then uh, um, let's see. Who else have they played? I don't know. Oh, yeah, they played Vermont, one of the best faceoff guys in the country here for Vermont. Yeah, my, my internet got real slow, so I paused out there for a second and zoned out as I was looking. So anyway, I think that in the end, Faceoff edge definitely goes to Duke. Uh, Zuzi here, Jamie Zuzi for uh, Penn got roached by uh, Georgetown and their faceoff crew. And then Chris Arceri, um, he's three of eight. Yeah, so edge goes to Duke there. Now defensively, I think the edge goes to Penn. They were able to pretty much bottle up a very good offense from Georgetown. I'm not going to get too deep because they've only played one game and it was a low-scoring game, so we don't have a lot of stats to go on or anything like that. But I think defensively, Penn looked solid in their one outing, and Duke has given up a lot of goals to some lesser-ranked opponents. So I like I give the slight edge to Penn, and now Penn's got some, you know, a game under their belt. Whereas in that opening game against Georgetown, they they didn't. So the advantage here, I think, overall goes to Duke. I think Duke's going to win this game in the end. They're five and one. They're playing their seventh game, and Penn is just getting their second game under their belt here. So I think in that way. It's it's favored to Duke. Duke is playing at home. Uh, Duke has the definite face-off edge, so they're going to get a possession edge. It's going to come down to, can Duke outscore Penn? I think they can. I think Duke is a better offensive team than Georgetown. Uh, defensively, they're not, so we'll see how that ends up playing for Penn because we don't really know how good uh, Penn's offense is yet because they, their only game is against one of the best defenses in the country. So I do like Duke in this game. I think it should end up being a fairly close game, but because of the, the possession disparity here that we may end up seeing, I wouldn't be surprised if Duke is able to kind of pull away a little bit here, especially because they've got so many games under their belt, just so much more experience. They're a lot more game ready right now than Penn is. Another Ivy, we're going to see Brown 
take on Vermont. Brown is now sitting at one and one. They've got win a win over Quinn, uh, Quinnipiac and then uh, loss 14-11 uh, just this week here to North Carolina. The big thing here, like I said, Vermont's got a very good offense, but the big thing here is going to come down to the faceoff dot. Against Carolina, they kind of got owned a little bit at the faceoff, not even a little bit, a lot. They lost 75% of the draws to Carolina and Zach Tucci. Tommy Burke is much better than Tucci at the faceoff dot, and uh, I think that's going to end up showing here in this game, and that's going to be important. Now, defensively, I, I kind of go with the Ivies. The Ivies are traditionally pretty strong defensively, so they probably have an edge over Vermont in that way. But, you know, Ryan Cornell in cage for Vermont, he's solid 47%. And then Connor Theralt, as I said, against UNC and then Quinnipiac, he, you know, 51%. So he, I think the goalie scenario here is a wash. I think what this is going to come down to is possessions. I think that Vermont probably overall in terms of deep roster talent, I think Vermont is probably not quite where Brown is. I think offensively Brown's going to be, you know, be able to equal Vermont, I think what's going to happen, though, here is Burke, if he smokes 65 to 75% of the faceoffs, and this comes down to a two, three-goal game, if not a one-goal game. So I like Vermont to edge Brown in the end here. Uh, and, and, and Vermont's been fairly battle-tested. A 15-7 loss to Duke. They actually lost to Utah, which was fairly painful, but then they come out and they beat Penn State 16-10. to So I think that Vermont overall is probably the better team or Brown is probably overall the better team, but I think that Tommy Burke ends up being the X factor for Vermont. And I, and with Vermont's offensive capabilities, you know, between guys like Liam Lamogues, who eight and one, David Klosterman, six and three, Brock Haley, three and three. I think they have enough offensive firepower with a huge possession disparity that favors Vermont. I think Vermont edges Brown by a very small margin. And it'll be a huge game for Vermont too, because coming out of the America East, you know, that, that conference is kind of trying to prove that, listen, we, we can hang with any, the best of our conference can hang with anyone. And it was always Albany dominating that now, but now you got Vermont playing really solid lacrosse. You got Stony Brook is a very good team as well. So we'll see how it goes, but I, I like Vermont by in a close game. Here is another absolutely incredible game here. We've got Loyola and Rutgers this weekend. Now, listen, don't get me wrong. Loyola is sitting at 0-2, but their losses come to Maryland and to Hopkins, and they lost a heartbreaker to Hopkins. Aiden Olmstead has not been good enough for them. He needs to be better offensively. He's sitting at 1-6 after two games. Not terrible, but I'd like to see him become a little bit more of a goal-scoring threat. He's a, a true, truly capable of being a 50-50 guy, just hasn't been getting looks against their first two opponents, but their first two opponents have played very solid defensively. Joey Kamish, 4-0. He's a great goal scorer. Kevin Lindley, 3-1. Another great goal scorer. I think that Loyola's problem is a lack of quality ball carriers. So they're just going to have to figure that out a little bit. Figure out, I think that really you just got to keep feeding the beast in Olmstead. Corning native. You got to talk about a painted post native here. Played his ball in upstate New York, section four for Corning. Uh, one and six is not good enough for Olmstead. So if Loyola is going to start winning some of these games against good opponents, he's going to have to be better. He's going to have to put up some goals in addition to creating for some of these other guys as well. Now, as we look at Rutgers, the it, clear advantage to Rutgers here. I'm I'm talking about how I'm excited about this game. It's really just so I can kind of get a benchmark for how good each of these teams are. The reality here is Rutgers is the better team. I mean, Rutgers hasn't played a 
a terrible schedule by any means. They've got wins over a big win over LIU, nine goals. They beat Marist 13 to 10. That one had me wondering a little bit, but you know, when you look at what Marist has done so far, Marist lost to Rutgers. They beat Binghamton, lost to Richmond badly. So Marist isn't very good, but they were able to hang with Rutgers. They waxed St. John's after that Marist game. And after that, like I said, I'm, I'm sitting here wondering, well, Rutgers offensively, not as good as we thought defensively I think they're as good as advertised but what are they going to do against Army I actually kind of I I picked Rutgers to win but I wouldn't have been surprised if Army had had turned the tables and won that game themselves 13-10 over Army so is that Marist game 13-10 that close game against Marist is that just kind of a fluke and did they just play down that day we don't know yet but this game is going to tell us a lot about Rutgers because even though Loyola is sitting at 0 and 2 they're still a quality team if Rutgers can pull out any win in this game then they just continue to prove that hey we're not the best team in the Big 10 but we're right there below Maryland and a threat to everybody that we play and their schedule doesn't get any easier here they got Loyola this weekend. Then they play Stony Brook, a very quality team out of the America East. Then Princeton, Lafayette, they'll probably wax Hofstra. Then they get into the Big Ten schedule. So Rutgers will be battle-tested, well-battle-tested by the time they get to their Big Ten schedule. Now, offensively for Rutgers, Ross Scott has looked good, uh, 11-6. and six. Mitch Bartolo has been very good. The transfer, 10-4. Uh, and four. Ronan Jacoby, another transfer, 11-0. The last two seasons here, what you've seen is Rutgers absolutely just destroying and taking advantage of the transfer portal and winning, winning that battle here. In terms of the goalie battle, not even a question. Uh, Loyola's played four goalies, and they've all struggled. Uh, Colin Kirst has played incredible for Rutgers so far, 64% between the pipes here. So that, that's not even a question overall. And then Bailey Savio, eh, I like Jonathan Dugenio. Like, uh, Bailey Savio has played against two very good faceoff men so far. And he has potential, and on any given day, he can come out and play and play well for Loyola. But I give Dugenio for Rutgers the edge here. He's won 65% of his draws. Every guy that's taken a faceoff for Rutgers is, is 60% of, or above. So Rutgers even has depth. So not only do I think Rutgers, does Rutgers have a, 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 a similar offense in terms of firepower, probably a little bit better edge goes to Rutgers offensively. Faceoff dot, edge goes to Rutgers and then as we look at the goalies, edge goes to Rutgers. So in the end, how can you not like Rutgers in this game? Uh, as we kind of look at defensively here, the, uh, the Rutgers leading takeaway guy, Ethan Rall, he's a LSM. He's got nine takeaways. But then you got Shane Knobloch, a midfielder, with five takeaways. Bobby Russo on defense, three takeaways. So Rutgers will take the ball away uh, across the board. Defensively, I think they're much stronger. And now as I'm sitting here talking about it, I'm saying this is going to be a close game just because Loyola scraps, but on paper, Rutgers should win this by a three to five goal margin, if not more. I don't think they will. I think offensively, they're just not there yet in terms of gelling, but I think they do win this game over Loyola. And for Loyola, if they can pull this out, that is a huge statement win for them, and they really need it. Loyola does not want to start 0-3. Their schedule doesn't get much easier as the season goes on. Next game. I want to talk about Maryland and Princeton. Now, I see a lot of people talking about how they think this is going to be a close game. It could be. It could be. But if you go through this, I mean, Maryland's playing their fourth game. Princeton will be playing their third. In terms of who has Princeton faced so far, Monmouth, 22-6. Binghamton, 
22 to 9. I mean, they haven't played anybody, and they've waxed both of those teams, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Maryland is battle-tested. They've got wins over High Point, Loyola, and Syracuse, a much better sampling here so far for them. They've got Logan Wisnowskis and his 19 points, Keegan Kahn and his 12, Donville and his 10, Owen Murphy. Donville and Murphy both transfers, 10 and 8 respectively. Eric Maliver, 7. I mean, it goes on and on. Kyle Long was an All-American last year, and he's their, what, seventh leading scorer. Maltz at one point started or was starting at attack last year. He's got six points. I mean, you go down this roster. Bubba Fairman, an All-American midfielder, is now playing D-mid. Offensively, the edge for days and days and days goes to Maryland. Now, Princeton in two games. Chris Brown has looked great, 7-7. Seven and seven. Against shit opponents is the key here. Alex Slusher eight and two. Christian uh, Christian Ronda six and two. So I mean they're capable, but let's not like I see a lot of people. I was you know chirping someone in the the college across forum on Facebook or group on Facebook, and he was saying it's going to be a close game. And I was like, listen, I mean I I don't see a world in which Maryland doesn't win by more than three to five goals. I mean I think they'll Maryland probably handles their business and wins this game by a lot in cage. Eric Peters is 64% right now for Princeton, and McEnany is 51%. But like I said, totally different competition here. So I give the edge to McEnany in terms of big game experience, and Princeton hasn't seen shit in years, and so far they've played a couple of chumps. So edge Maryland offensively, slight edge, we could say at least Maryland in cage. And then at the faceoff dot, Tyler Sandoval is good, but Luke Weirman probably better. He's got uh, 62% versus Sandoval for Princeton, 64%. But once again, you haven't played anybody, Princeton, and that is my problem. And then the defensive edge all day goes to Maryland. You know, Maryland and company, one of the best defensive teams in the country overall. Bubba Fairman playing D-mid's got three takeaways. Roman Paglazi playing D-mid has four takeaways. And then defensively, Zapatello, two takeaways. I can't even pronounce some of these guys' names. Uh, Ray Hill here, three cause turnovers. I mean, Maryland's going to win this game, and I think they win it by five-plus goals in the end, despite what some people are saying. Um, Navy high point. I do like Navy overall in this game. Navy's sitting at three and one, but high point has played a tough schedule. Don't let their don't let the three and one Navy record versus the one and two high point record fool you. High point has lost to Maryland and Virginia and they beat Colgate. So they're going to play Navy this weekend and then they turn around and play Duke next week. So it's like it, it, then they get into their easier stretch, but they will still have North Carolina on that schedule. So it's like, man, High Point is a good team. I think this is going to be a dogfight overall. Asher Nolting, his 16 points are going to be important. He's going to need to have a big game against Navy here. In terms of the goalie battle, Navy has the edge. Pat Ryan has looked a, a much better than Parker Green, but Parker Green, streaky goalie, he can get hot at the faceoff dot. Hammond, it's kind of, you know, you got to give the edge here probably to Navy. Hammond has been good. Nate Hammond, 53%. And then Jacob Jarose, uh for Navy, 62%. So they kind of got a two-headed monster at the faceoff dot against High Point. It's been under 50% overall winning faceoffs. So I don't know. I, I like High Point. I think that they're going to come out and score some goals, and I think that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to who can outscore who. And High Point, I think that favors them a little bit. But Navy... You know, they've got some dudes who can score score the rock as well. So that's it. But I'm, I'm going to pick high point in a close game, I'm hoping. I'm, I'm, you know, i got to pick it at some point here. Denver-Jacksonville. Jacksonville coming off the big win over Duke. Their lone losses to Hopkins. They would probably like to play that game again. Then they beat Mercer and Marquette. 
So I, you know, Jacksonville's feeling really good right now coming into Denver, and Jacksonville's going to play Denver, Air Force, and Utah, I believe. Yeah, Denver, Air Force, and Utah over the course. So they play Denver and Air Force back-to-back games this weekend, and then they play Utah on uh, March 6th. Max Walbaum has been incredible for Jacksonville, the transfer from Tufts. He's got 16 goals, five assists. He played really well against Duke. He's played really well against everybody overall. J.J. Silstrop and Ted Sullivan are the leading scorers for Denver, 16 points and 10 points respectively, 13-3 and three for Silstrop, primarily a ball carrier goal scorer, whereas Sullivan's been a little bit more 50-50. And uh, what, what really has to happen here in this game, I think, is, is if we can see Jack Hanna kind of cure his shooting woes. Right now, Jack Hanna is shooting the ball at 8%. He's led Denver in shots taken by a large margin. He has almost doubled up Silstrap. 39 shots taken to Silstrap's 20. Silstrap's finishing at 65%. Hanna at 8. Now, that's not a slam on Hanna. Hanna is incredible. I've said this in every show so far this year where we've talked about Denver. Hanna did this last year as well. Shot the rock under 20% for the first few games before finally getting in a groove and then putting up a really solid point total. But he needs to he needs to figure that out. If he shoots the ball well against Jacksonville, Denver wins this game. If he is if his shooting, if the yips continue for Jack Hanna, and you could see the frustration last week in their game against Duke. You could see his frustration. And the only reason that game went nineteen to ten was because Jack Hanna took like eleven shots and only scored none of them. You know, none shots were scored. Uh that's why they lost that game by the margin that they did. So if he shoots the ball well, they win. If he doesn't shoot the ball well, I think Jacksonville takes this game and wins. As we look at the goalie battle, pretty much edge Jacksonville. Jack Thompson has been at 43%. Cole French has gotten some play too, 48%. That's been Denver's problem is they haven't had a goalie that's owned that position yet and then has been the solid starter consistently, but uh, Milliken for Jacksonville, Luke Milliken, he's played well, and he's at 55% against some decent teams here, some good competition. At the faceoff dot, Edge goes to uh, to Denver and Stathakis. Alex Stathakis is an excellent faceoff guy, 55%, and everybody for, for Jacksonville has been under 40%. Now, Jacksonville does a really good job of taking away transition offense from teams so far this year, and they've played good enough defense to win the bulk of their game. So I think that the faceoff dot is going to be hugely important. I think the battle in cage is going to be hugely important. And I think for Denver, it comes down to, can Jack Hanna put up three or four goals? If he does, Denver probably wins. If he doesn't and he goes, you know, shoots the rock one of 10 or one of 15 again, Denver probably loses this game because uh, Jacksonville is going to score. I think they're going to put up points. Wallbaum and company, Griner, Dolan, all these guys, Bowhunter. I mean, you name it. They have some depth offensively and they they can all score the rock. Ohio State, Harvard. I like Ohio State in this one. I keep talking about the Ivies because I'm happy to have them back. I think Myers, Smith, you know, 19 and 12 points respectively. What they did against Carolina is absolutely huge. So far, they've got wins over Detroit Mercy, Cleveland State. You yawn at those. They beat North Carolina, though, worse than they beat Detroit Mercy and Cleveland State. So I like them in this game. I don't think we're going to see a huge spread. I think Harvard's probably going to hang a little bit more effectively than both of these teams did. But Harvard's only win is against New Jersey Tech, you know, so you don't know what really they are. So I like I like Ohio State by a five to eight goal margin in this one. I wouldn't be surprised if they waxed them more in terms of goalkeeping. It's, you can't tell with Harvard because they played trash. Caton Johnson looked really good last weekend against Carolina in his return to Carolina. And at the faceoff dot, it's over. 
Inacio. He's won 81% of his draws so far. Everybody that has taken a draw for Ohio State is at 77% or higher. And then you look at Cucharulo, uh, uh, and yeah, it, you don't know. I mean, they Harvard fared well against New Jersey Tech at the faceoff dot, but the absolute edge goes to Ohio State. Defensively, the edge goes. So I'm saying five to eight goals in this one for Ohio State. It could be even worse than that. Penn State, Yale. Yale's going to win this game. Uh, Penn State will have to play the best game that they're going to play all year. If they have any shot at all, I wouldn't be surprised to see Yale win by a margin in this one. Penn State, so far, their only win against Lafayette, 20 to, 20 to 15. They lost to Villanova by a goal. They lost to Vermont. They lost to St. Joseph's. They're going to lose to Yale. I don't think they'll get roached, uh, but I do think that they're going to lose this game probably by a solid three to six goals or so, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was more. They're definitely struggling. Yale at the faceoff dot looked good in their game against Villanova, so that was solid, and they're going to have the edge there. I think Yale has the edge defensively and with their physicality offensively. I think the edge goes across the board here for Yale. Uh, The only place I think uh, Penn State might fare a little bit better is in cage, but not by much, so... I think Yale wins this game. Another one I think will be a big game is Drexel and Albany. I do like Drexel in this game overall. I think that they're going to be a little bit better. Uh, A big part of that is they're going to be a little bit better in cage than Albany looked against Cornell. But then again, they played Cornell. But Drexel, UMBC, and Lafayette so far. So neither of these teams, you know, have enough info uh, for us to go off of. Albany in their first game against Cornell got beat. They got doubled up by Cornell. Cornell's a hell of a ball club, though. So overall, I think Drexel wins this one. But we're going to see Towson and Richmond. This will be a big one for both of these teams to prove who they are and where where everything stands here. Towson so far has lost a couple of games. They've lost to Hopkins and Virginia, but beat Mount St. Mary's. And then if we look at Richmond, they're only playing their third game. They lost to Carolina in a close one, and then they beat Marist by a lot. So I kind of like Richmond in this one, but I'm just waiting to see what Towson is. You know, in the first part of that Virginia game, Towson looked like a legit team, and then they end up getting beat, you know, 18, I think doubled up just about. So I like Richmond in this one overall, but Towson at some point has to put up and, and win, you know, win a ball game here. Lehigh Cornell. Cornell's going to win this game, I think. Tommy Schelling and co. I think they'll put up a fight. I think they're going to do a lot better than Albany. But I'm thinking Cornell, three to five goals is pretty reasonable. Uh, C.J. Curse looks good. Piatelli is always good. Michael Long. I mean, they've, they've got dudes that can score. You look in the, in the cage. Both teams have solid goalkeepers. Chase Erland for for um, Cornell and James Spence for Lehigh. Both sitting at 53%. And then at the faceoff dot, this is why I think it'll be closer than it should be. I think Cornell's probably better over the, across the field than Lehigh, but you have Mike Sisselberger here for Lehigh. Now, Sisselberger got evened up here by Hobart um, earlier in the season here in one of their games, and Hobart ended up winning that game by a goal, and Sisselberger you know, didn't fare as well as he normally does, so uh, that's going to be key for Lehigh to hang in this game. Sisselberger's going to have to dominate. If Sisselberger doesn't absolutely dominate, Cornell probably wins this by four-plus Five plus if if Sisselberger can handle his business, it's going to be much closer than that overall. Marquette Utah, that's going to be a good one here. I'm going to go with Utah in this one. I think this is a big game for Utah. They're sitting at one and one, and they you know a loss to Denver and a win over Vermont that looks good for them. And then Marquette lost a win over Bellarmine, lost to Jacksonville, but I still think Utah is probably the better team, and I think they're going to win this one. Air Force and Jacksonville, right after the Denver game, Jacksonville has to play Air Force. I think Jacksonville wins this game. Uh, all, for all the same reasons, I think they're, they're going to do well against Denver. Their Air Force's defense 
They're going to be able to take advantage of them. I think Wellbaum's going to run all over some of these dudes. Air Force will do battle. You know, they're not chumps, and they've played some solid teams in Virginia, Denver, and Colgate, but they've lost them all. So I, the only kicker here for Air Force, they can end up keeping it closer than normal and maybe eke out a win because Jacksonville will be playing on zero rest. So that'll play. They're playing back-to-back games, Jacksonville is, and that's a great test that Galloway's putting his team in. Uh, a big upstate game here, Colgate and Hobart. I actually like Colgate in this. I don't know why. I just think Colgate is kind of battle-tested. High Point, Carolina, and Air Force with the win over Air Force. They played 11-10, one goal loss to High Point, and 15-9 to Carolina. So I think that they're pretty solid. I think that in the end, it's going to come down to uh, scoring. I think if they can bottle up and play solid defense against Hobart's offense the similar way they did against Carolina's holding them to 15 goals, I think that then Ryan Archer and company could get silenced. You got Archer at 13 points, 6 and 7, Tommy Mott at uh, 12 points, 7 and 5. So, I mean, Hobart can score goals for sure. And then another big thing for Hobart is that the faceoff dot, they fared very well against Sisselberger. Adam Shea, uh, right now he's sitting at 63%, but Colgate. Uh, Colucci at Colgate, 41 and 66. He's at 62%. So I think this is going to be a good game. I like Colgate at just my knee-jerk reaction, but this should be close, and it's going to come down to who can outscore who. And in a, in a, in a game of runs and in a, in a run-and-gun game, I, it would favor Hobart uh, is all. And that's it. I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I've now been rambling here for pushing, I don't know, 40 minutes or so. Yeah, 48 minutes. Holy crap. So that's it. I'm getting out of here. As always, share the crap out of this with everybody. I'll be back. Be sure to hit YouTube up or Spotify up um, to watch the video version on Sunday. We'll do the recap show Sunday morning between 10 and 11 or so. That will drop. And then go to laxfactor.com. Support us that way. Get swag and all of that crap. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We're going to keep running with this. Seems to be working well. And I get to talk about a boatload of games every morning on Thursday. So keep coming back. And we'll try to layer in another show or two as we get deeper into the season. So that's it. Hoost is out. The Last Factor Podcast.